Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Well, we're up and going again. Sure it's are. Monday. It's Monday. It's supposed to rain and storm later, but right now it's dry, dark, and dreary. Kind of, and it's a little chilly. Kind it's, of chilly. It's just kind of one of those raw, and like, you know, it's like, kind of like New Orleans in the wintertime. It doesn't usually get that cold, but it feels cold in New Orleans because the humidity's up, the temperatures are down, the wind's blowing in New Orleans. Yeah. So anyway, glad y'all are here. Ho, ho, ho. It's Christmas time. My Christmas spirit is high, high, high after yesterday morning. What a big morning at St. Andrew. Wow. It was wonderful. The music was wonderful. It was just all... We got uh, to see Jonathan dressed as the elf. I was going to tell you, that was like an image that is etched now into my brain. <laughs> and it's all over Facebook. He's, he's going to be Facebook famous. Jonathan, the six foot four inch elf. Which is pretty much like Will Ferrell. Yeah, he's a tall guy. Yeah, so. Jonathan's a tall guy. So anyway, that it was just wonderful. And then at our class yesterday, we had our potluck. Great turnout for the potluck. Yeah, we had almost 150 people. Really nice, full feeling room and tons of food. Lots of food. It was yeah, pretty lovely. Yeah, it was pretty great. Lovely. Good day. A yeah. very good day. Really. So anyway, we're glad all you are here today as we resume our journey through First Thessalonians, and we are in chapter four. There's only five chapters, which means that after we finish First Thessalonians, First of Thessalonians. That three times yeah, fast. I know. And so what's my choice for what we're going to do? We're going to go right on into Second Thessalonians. Maybe I'll be practiced better mm -hmm. at, 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 at saying it. You know, I went to speech therapy at the third grade. I you remember you I've told you that, that before. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I did. I had kind of a lisp or something. And they, this is in North Louisiana. It's the Shreveport Public Schools in third grade. Well, uh, you know, I don't know. But aren't you glad you went? You never knew. You... Did it do anything for me? I of don't know. It did. did it really? Oh yes. Is it yes? Made me the man I am now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Scott always okay. wishes he had that deep voice. Yeah. Like dark Darth Vader. James Earl Jones. Yes. Or, there are certain guys at church who have, but it's just just this great, great voice, right? But anyway, I have the voice. That I have, and it's not changing. No, it's not so, changing now. And not changing now. So anyway. So we're so glad you're so, here. Really, it's super, and we're gonna have a, I think, a real interesting class today, and um, so I guess we'll get started. What do you What do you think? I think that's great. Okay. You pray us into this, honey. That's a very, that's kind of a Baptist way to put it, isn't it, honey? Pray us into this. So I'm yes. going to pray us into this. I didn't call you Brother Scott, though, first. <laughs> <laughs> Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here. Here it is, two weeks before Christmas. We're able to gather um, online like this. What, what a wonderful technology to just come together for the next hour or more to study your word, um, to actually be careful readers of scripture and and read every word and hear every word and every sentence and not just kind of fly through it as we are so inclined to do um, thinking that well we already know what's there but we don't we don't Lord and so help us to to hear you well um, and may your spirit as always fill us with uh, a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm for this journey all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. And I was just going to add, because yeah. people have heard your journey from being Episcopalian, then having this very short little stint as being a Mormon. 
Yeah, it was very short, but it was it was there. And then being back at being a Methodist and not going to church for a while, and then coming back coming with me to Prestonwood. So I know everybody kind of knows that um, I grew up Catholic. I was born and raised in Staten Island, New York, and I stayed a practicing Catholic till I was 21. And um, I took a short little reprieve, as a lot of young people do, from church. And when my first husband, Gary, and I got married and moved to Dallas, I went to Prestonwood. I know you did. For 11 years. And so I really am that typical Catho-Baptist, but I was both. All in one person. I was both. <laughs> and Scott even came with me to Prestonwood. We did. For quite a few months, because he knew it was really important to me. And when we knew we were going to get married, he said kind of we need to find our own church yeah and after and our fun church shopping we landed yeah. on saint andrew and it's we did and we even visited other denominations mm -hmm. and things and yeah. finally yeah finally found a wonderful home at saint andrew now we know all these wonderful people we do we're so it's lucky. always so great to see everybody popping up here they're, they're checking in online it's That's just great I mean. and even i see josie teeter is checked in again and she lives in florida now but you know josie went josie and her husband tom went to israel with us once yes. And she was a faithful goer to our Bible study. To Tuesday, yeah, she's yeah. in Tuesday class. Um, so, as I recall, you anyway, know, for between a long the time. two of us, except for Scientology, we pretty much hit most denominations. <laughs> oh, next next trip for me is over to Greek Orthodox. Or oh, something. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she's just back from a cruise, Josie. Well, good said. for her. Lucky lady, I yeah. had a wonderful time. Yeah, we like those cruises. We're, we're, we've got to get, get cranked up again on those. So, let's see. Here we are again in 1 Thessalonians. And we had 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I have a lot to talk about before we start into it. So, let's get going. And if you are listening on a podcast, I've got a number of slides today as we talk about this topic that we're about to get into. And so if you would like to do this by seeing the slides, you can go to my channel on YouTube and there you'll find a recording of the stream. And you can, and you can see the slides and stuff that I'll be putting up as we talk about this. So let's get started. Okay, I imagine more than a few of us maybe more than some of us, maybe many of us have read some of the Left Behind series. I read three and a half books of the however many there were, and I kind of pooped out. I've got all, was getting all kind of crazy. But even if you haven't read them, I'm virtually sure that all of us have heard of them, okay? Because there's the Left Behind books, and then there was the Left Behind movies, and then there's the Left Behind t-shirts, and coffee mugs, and all the rest of it. And it all stems from a certain way of reading the Bible about that there will be a day called the Rapture, at which Jesus will return to earth and... The believers will go up to meet him and off they will all go with Jesus somewhere while things completely fall apart on earth until Jesus comes back for what would actually be a third time. Well, that's a very North American way of interpreting the Bible 
we're not here to talk about that whole thing, but we are here to talk about this business of the rapture and meeting Jesus in the air and then going off with him. And a lot of it stems from a misreading of the next paragraph in 1 Thessalonians. Because if all you do is read it in English, that kind of seems like what's going on. So you have to be willing to to get into the Greek a bit and try to understand it as the original readers have. And nobody in Paul's world would have been confused about what he was talking about. You know, I've worked on this for a long time. Even today, I was, I had a few minutes, extra few minutes out getting things ready and I decided, well, let me just go check a couple other sources that I have on my computer to, to just kind of see if everybody's, if they're all kind of in sync about this. And guess what? They're all in sync about this. There's just really, there's really, there's really no question. So, so let me pull up the slides and I will show you what I mean. Now, it's gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna learn a practice um, in the ancient world, okay? Um, I don't need that slide right now, really. So imagine that you are in Thessalonica and Julius Caesar comes to visit. How would that work? Well, the way it would work when he came to visit is that the city fathers, and they would all be men, of course, in this world, would, would go outside the city and they would meet Caesar and his entourage and all that stuff and there'd be a big parade and they would escort him into the city. That's what it is. There'd be like it's this big welcoming committee and they'd give him the keys to the city and they would escort him inside because he was the king. Right? It's his city. And so they welcome him and their their way of welcoming him, welcoming him is their way of acknowledging that he is um, their, their king. So... Um, Here's something uh, I'm going to say. We're, we're just going to read here together um, about this word. You can look at the top line. You can see it in the top line. Apentasis is how it's pronounced. Apentasis for just the root noun, this, this meeting. And it says, um, one second, because... What I have on my screen is blocking some of my own seeing of this. Okay, all right. When a dignitary paid an official visit, that's what the apentasis is, is an official visit, to a city in Hellenistic times, that's the times now, it's just the Greco-Roman world, and before, the action of the leading citizens in going out to meet him and escort him back on the final stage of his journey was called the Apentasis. That's the big welcome. So Cicero, you've probably heard of Cicero. He is this um, first century BC uh, orator and politician uh, and writer. So Cicero, describing Julius Caesar's progress through Italy in 49 BC as he is coming back to lay claim to the, to, to, to the Roman Republic, says, quote, just imagine what Apentasis, what a huge welcome he is receiving from the towns. 
what honors are paid to him. And five years later, he says much the same thing about Caesar's adopted son, Octavian, who becomes Caesar Augustus. Quote, the municipalities are showing the boy remarkable favor, wonderful appetizers, yeehaw, welcome, welcome, all that kind of thing. Okay, so it's a big, it's a big welcoming committee. And they meet him outside the city walls and bring him in. Um, Patty and I were watching a show, television show once. I can't remember exactly what it was. But there had been some wars in northern Italy and King Charles VII was arriving to take possession of Florence, I think it was. And they depicted the whole thing yes. in it. And what happened was King Charles rode up to the gate, but not through the gate. And when he looked through the gate, he could see that some of the city folks still had like their little their lances up in the air, pointing straight ahead, and they all had to point their lances downward, and then they had to come out and meet him and bring him inside the city, because he was the conquering king, and now the city of Florence was his. And so that's the same idea, this Opentasis. Now we find it also in the Bible. In Matthew 25, 6, we find it where the bridegroom is summoned to go out and meet. This is from the Greek in the new in Matthew to 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 meet. Opentasin, it would be in the verb, the bridegroom, so as to escort him with a torchlight procession to the banqueting hall. Same idea. In Acts chapter 28, verse 15, where Christians from Rome walk south along the Appian Way. Why? They're going to meet Paul and his, you know, his entourage, and they are going to escort them on the remainder of their journey to Rome, and that meeting is in Opentasis. It's not just me. You wouldn't use this word to describe, hey, I'm going to meet you at Starbucks for a coffee. That's not the, that's the wrong idea. It is this welcoming, this this practice in the ancient world of, of really... Like rolling out the red carpet. Rolling out the red carpet because you're acknowledging that the person you're bringing into the city is the boss. Yes. And you're the servant. <laughs> right? Yes. That's what's really going on in this, in this idea. Um, there we go. What's that all about? Okay, here we go. Palm Sunday. How does Palm Sunday work? Jesus rides in from the east over in Bethany, and he comes up to the eastern gate on the eastern side of the city where the crowds meet him. He's riding. They escort him into the city, and the palm branches are flying, and the cloaks are being laid, and the crowd is shouting, Hosannas, and all the rest of it. That's an apentasis. That's the welcome. That's bringing into the city of this king. Because king is, is what Messiah is all about, right? So, I've said many, many times that Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday, Jesus takes every claim to Messiahship that existed and he wraps it all around himself, including the welcoming into the, into the city. So, it's this Greek technical term. You wouldn't use it to talk about meeting at Starbucks or meeting up at the church or anything like that. It's a standard practice 
to welcome someone. And when we come to it here in a little bit in 1 Thessalonians, that's how we have to think about it. A welcoming committee to, 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 to meet King Jesus and escort him into the new Jerusalem. Right? Because what Paul has in mind, let me see if my, oh, okay, that's good. That's my next slide. Super. <laughs> that what he's speaking of here is the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. That, that's the subject in front of him. Jesus's return. And what will that be like? And there are certain fears that the Thessalonians have about it that he is going to want to address. Okay, so that's my little, that's my little thing about this. Mm -hmm. So let me see. If, it would be great if we were together in the same room, but we're not. So any questions about that? Anything, Patty? Anything I didn't explain? You've heard this before, but it you got to unlearn some other stuff to really begin to see and I will point out the word apentacine that we the the meeting verb, the verb meet when we get to it here in this portion. Um, but anyway, anybody out there got questions? There's no questions yet, but you know it takes a few seconds. It does. Somebody writes so if you have questions, you I'll know, I'll let you know. I'll stop you. Y'all can ask them as we go along here. I'm gonna give you a second as I take a sip of my coffee. And me of my tea. Hmm. Hmm. You have hot tea, hot tea over there, baby? I have chai latte. Mmm, nice. Made in my Keurig. <laughs> we like our Keurig. And, and, you know, we like these. We got, last Christmas, we got these embers. Um, that's that's the mug that has this little heat, a little electrified plate it sits on kind of thing. And it keeps, it keep, the mug stays warm. It's like magic. Yeah. And so you can carry it all around the house and it doesn't get cold. For 90 minutes. For a coffee drinker, it's like heaven. Yep. <laughs> okay, so look, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, because it's kind of a big change in subject for Paul. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. And more exactly in the Greek, it's for those who have fallen asleep. These are the ones who have died, right? Because people's natural concern is for those who have missed out on Jesus. Those who might die before he comes back. Because I'm, I'm certainly with those. It's controversial. And this is something I think I disagree with N.T. Wright about. Um, I think I know people pretty well, and I I just think that they they expect Jesus to come back soon. There's an immediacy to it, right? Even and right now he's right. It's only 20 years since Jesus was resurrected, which isn't very long, and there's still this immediacy to it of Jesus's return. Um, so. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We Christians, we 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 don't grieve like the like the rest of like the unbelieving world does. Set Paul aside for a second here. We don't grieve in the same way. We know that death is not our end. We know that death does not hold us. 
we grieve over the separation that death creates. We grieve that the person we love isn't with us. I grieve over the fact that I can't pick up the phone and call my mom. But we know that death won't hold her and death won't hold me. And that's different than if you think that when you die, that's just like it. Lights out over, dude. There's just nothing. Just nothing. That's it. You're gone. All that remains of you is whatever exists in people's hearts and minds. Well, that's not, that's not, that's not the Christian proclamation. It's great if people remember us in their hearts and minds, and we live on, you know, in our children genetically and in the, but that's not, that's not the game. I mean, that's not the whole thing. That isn't even the major part of the thing. The major part of the thing is that one day we will be resurrected as Jesus was resurrected. So, he says, don't, don't, now don't, don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We do have hope. Remember, our hope is not a probability. It is the, what he means is the sure confidence in not only Jesus' resurrection, but of his return and of our resurrection. Okay, so verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That rose again is the linchpin that undergirds everything Christian. In my Tuesday class on 1 Corinthians, I, goodness, we, I must have made those people sit through three or four weeks on the, resu on, on the resurrection in chapter 15 because it's just so important. And yet we, we devote Easter to it. And then we're on to something else. But it's, it's the linchpin for everything. So he writes in verse 14, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Okay, that's kind of a funny wording, isn't it? What it means is, if I were to you know paraphrase a little bit, we believe, we have faith, we have confidence, we trust God, we trust that God will bring with Jesus oh gosh <laughs> I've got to decline that phone call and then put my phone hang, hang on talk about yourselves for a moment is it somebody you'd like me to answer for you no okay it's all right I'll get back to him okie dokie Okay, that's I should have. I I try to remember to put my phone on airplane mode, but there you go. Anyway, for <clears throat> so we believe that God will bring with Jesus, bring with Jesus, bring with Jesus. Where? Ah, he's about to get into that. You see, those who have fallen asleep in Him, those who have died and are in Christ, in Christo. That is a common. Pauline way of describing those who have put their faith in Christ. We live together in Christ. It's just two words, just in Christ, but boy, they are real, that's a really important, fundamental, I can't even, how many times, I've looked it up one time, like 79 times, Paul uses that simple formulation, in Jesus, in Christ, our participation in Christ, 
what is it what does it exactly mean well i think you have to have a whole little cluster of meanings around it the way paul uses it but here he means for those who have died in christ our brothers and sisters who have already passed away just because they passed away already doesn't make them any less our brothers and sisters because death is not their end I'm going to make a note of this line for myself yeah. because, you know, where where Paul is, we believe, imprisoned, and he said, you know, they might come to whack me pretty soon, and <laughs> yes. I could be with Jesus. So this, this, to me, is another backup to that, where he's not only saying, if I die, boom, I'm with Jesus. He's talking about everybody else who is in Christ. Who is in Christ, and he's going to bring them with him. With him. Because so that's like without being terribly specific about what it means to be with Christ right. or in space time where they are exactly but he with makes Jesus. this very clear that he does when he says that it's not something like where he's boasting that if I die right now I'm going to he's meaning anyone who was in Christ is also going to be there all the brothers and sisters so I think that's pretty cool the whole that's family those two go hand in hand yeah those they do go hand in hand. I think that's a really good observation, Patty. They do go hand in hand because those who are in Christ, well, that's the family, right? Right. That's the body of Christ, and it includes those who have already passed away because it isn't, it isn't like they don't exist. They're just with Christ now as opposed to being, well, here in our house with Patty and me <laughs> <laughs> or wherever else I might be walking around or sitting around right now there with Christ. And so he's reassuring them that, well, yeah, grandma might have died, but she's with Christ and he's going to bring her with him. Yes. Okay. So according to the Lord's word. So now when Paul does that, he is emphasizing that he isn't going rogue here. <laughs> he isn't just, you know, because sometimes he says, you know, this is, this is not from the Lord. This is from me. That's not one of these things. This, he's, he, he's getting this from God. It says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, right, who are left until the coming of the Lord, because whenever Jesus comes back, there's going to be Christians who are alive, right? Yes. Will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. right will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep he's just saying grandma's not going to be left out yes which is what the thessalonians fear is that you know she um she she passed away maybe she knew something something of Jesus and in or maybe they want her to get to know Jesus even though she's already passed and all he's saying is there's the, you, this is a much larger picture than merely those of us who are alive when Jesus returns right yes it's it's the whole family verse 16 for the Lord himself that's Jesus will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So you you have to go to 1 Corinthians 15 to get this. What's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Right? Because when Jesus returns, the dead will be resurrected. We will be reunited, as it were, with our, if we've passed, we will be reunited with our material bodies. They will be different bodies. And this is what he elaborates on a long time in 1 Corinthians 15. They'll be glorified. They'll be unchangeable. They'll be this. They'll be that. But they will still be bodies. They will still need gravity. They will still eat fish and the rest of it. Wear clothing and everything else. Okay? They're still bodies. They're, they're material. They're physical. They're not vapor or ghosts or however you want to think about it. They're bodies. So he says... Um, that he says it's like he says like look when when this comes nobody's gonna miss it it's gonna be big 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 right yep. loud command voice of the archangel trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will be will rise first it's like it's like guys not only is Grandma not gonna miss out Grandma's gonna be at the front of the line not that it matters who's at the front of the line or the back of the line. But it's just like he's just trying to encourage these people who obviously have expressed to him fears about their loved ones. And don't we still do that today? How often? How do, do we people, do that, Patty? I mean, so often people ask in classes, what about my family? They do because we love yes, them and we want it. them to, yeah. we don't want them to, to miss out. Right. Right? Right. So it is understandable completely. Well, you know what I'm also saying? A lot of times I hear people question you, ask you about um, cremation. And I'm just saying that it, it. this is another one of those lines where Paul is just telling us, you're Don't, all going to be okay. You're, you you're going to be this. okay. Yeah. Right? Yep. Right? It, there, there are Christians who died 2,000 years ago, almost. Almost 2,000 years ago, who, whose, whose bodies are soil now. Not even dust, just with dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's what happens to us, given enough time. And are they going to miss out just because God's going to have to reconstitute? No, of course not, because God is the one who may created the whole universe, the whole cosmos, all the stars, all of that. So, of course, God can cope with that. We just want to put these limitations. We only want to imagine that God can do with things that we can sort of figure out how he could do right yes. we, we we have we have to have big a big 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 imaginations when we come to this stuff because we shrink God we shrink God on down we are I've heard many people many preachers talk over the years about you know your God is too small talking to a congregation or a person your God is too small you know whew. it's like um, it's like Christmas. God took on humanness. 
with all of our frailties and weaknesses. How do you get your brain around that? Well, I don't think you really do. You just affirm it and you stand in wonder and you kneel in wonder at this, at the incarnation. So, before you ever get to why Jesus came or what he's going to do for us, just the sheer wonder of the creator of the cosmos, of all that is, all that was, all that shall be, took on human, took on humanness. So, so with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and after that, we who are still alive, still walking around when Jesus shows up, and our left will be caught up together with them. Who's the them? Right? Yes. That's, that's grandma and <laughs> all her buddies. In the clouds to meet. Apentacene. It's not like meeting at Starbucks. It's that special technical Greek word. And I wish the translators would go ahead and do something else with it besides merely put the word M-E-E-T because we don't get it. All right? Going to go forward and meet Jesus in the air, which is up, up above us, okay? So what is that about? Why does he talk about going up to meet Jesus in the air? Because that's where they think heaven is. Right, because that when Jesus comes, where is he coming from? Heaven, down. Yeah, somewhere up there. Right. Right? Somewhere up there. So he's going to come somewhere up, up there. He's going to come down. He's going to come down. He'll be in the air, and we will all rise to meet him. To do what? To welcome him into the new Jerusalem. To welcome him into the renewed heavens and new earth to welcome him to this place, not to disappear off to some distant part of the galaxy or wherever it might be, to this place. In Revelation 21, where do the new hev heavens and earth come? I mean, where does the new Jerusalem come? Here, to earth, earth, earth. So, sure, um, it's... It's a hard thing to get, and, and uh, you know, but it's not that hard. <laughs> you, you just have to be introduced to it, because when you do, you realize the beauty of what Paul's talking about, that it, we will all participate, and we will welcome Jesus to this newly restored and renewed world, to the new heavens and the new earth, to the new Jerusalem. If you... If you make it all too literal, you make it very wooden and two-dimensional, and you lose it. You lose the wonder in it. But it, the, the direction matters. Jesus is coming here. The New Jerusalem is coming here. Our home is this planet, not some distant part of the galaxy, not on some distant cloud somewhere. Heaven is, heaven is here not fully manifest right now but it, it will be one day we even pray for it every time we say the Lord's Prayer what do we pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven 
That is not about just being little better people here down here, like the little better people up there. No, it's about the merging, about the overwrapping of heaven around the earth and earth being remade and God's will being done everywhere at all times. Which is a good description of the kingdom of God. It's, it's like, um, okay, so let's, what do I have in the way of the next slide okay good so you see so when jesus comes back all you're left with is the top arrow right yes the bottom age i mean the bottom arrow the present age that ends jesus returns we all go up metaphorically i don't think all the resurrected all the resurrected bodies are going to go flying into the air but hey uh might <laughs> or because I, I tend to think of it as as jesus coming from a different dimension but whatever that's not the point the point is that we are all going to welcome jesus um in his second coming and that's that that's and so all that's left then is salvation new creation new covenant all the rest of it the spirit no mourning, no tears. Candy wants to know, uh, or it says here, Jesus will bring brothers and sisters in Christ first. Who is second? Are we then second? What he is, the first part comes from the end of verse 16. He said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And so who's, who's second in that sense? Everybody who's already walking around at the time and hasn't died. It's because here, right? Because there's, when Jesus returns, the resurrection of the dead will happen. But what if you're actually, let's just say Jesus came back tonight. Okay, so there'll be a whole, somehow in this, there'll be a whole lot of, of people who have passed that would be resurrected, like my mom. But I won't be resurrected because I'm, I'm alive. I don't think I'm going to likely to die between now and tonight. So what would happen to me? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. The trumpet shall sound, and in the twinkling of an eye, we who are alive when Jesus comes back will be transformed. So that those who have died and been resurrected, and those of us who are alive when he returns and have been transformed, will have the same immutable, glorified, eternal bodies. So was that clear, Patty? I think so. This stuff is hard to... Yes. It, it, it's a challenge. You have to pull together different different pieces of this. And certainly for the way, for what I grew up with, even though I went to church virtually my whole life, you know, sermons were disconnected and none of this stuff was explained and there were no dots connected or anything like that. You have to put a few pieces together. Um, but when you do, you realize how wonderful and grand the Christian truth and hope really is. So, 
the second scandy are those who are alive when Jesus returns. And somebody will be. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but there'll be lots of Christians walking around, I think, when he comes back. Okay? Scott, can you possibly lighten yourself just a teeny bit over there? It's gotten really dark. It's maxed out. Okay. Just not enough light in the world today. Okay. So I'm, but it's us as well. Yep. You know, really, if probably better if I just blacked out the screen. Oh, stop it. <laughs> you silly. <laughs> okay. So, verse 17 again. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, that's grandma and the ones who have died, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, the apentacene, to meet Jesus where he's coming from, because he's, right? And so we will be with the Lord forever. We're going to meet him escort him in it's jesus's world utterly and completely we'll escort him in we'll be the welcoming committee it's it's he'll be like in matthew 25 he'll be the bridegroom um and we'll be the wedding party and uh, so forth and so he says in verse 18 therefore encourage one another with these words that's right see we these, these are things Christians should be encouraged by. And we are led to them by what? We are led to them by the resurrection of Jesus. We are Easter people. It is the resurrection of Jesus that really brings to us this understanding. And so, okay. Okay, so anything else on that section there? No other questions. Okay, so apentasis, apentasis. So that leaves another question right there. Okay, Paul, like when is this gonna happen, buddy? <laughs> when is Jesus gonna come back? You know, if you prowl around the internet, you know what you can find? You can find countdown clocks. They're counting down to Jesus' return. And the speed at which the clock moves depends on current events. When it looks more, more, more like it, well, the clock speeds up. I don't know when it slows down because I suspect it's always looked like The history of Christianity would say it always looks like it because there have always been people, Christians, who are quite sure that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. It goes all the way back to the beginning. A guy whose name was Montanus. Um, and he, he, yeah, yeah, basically he took his folks to the mountaintop to wait. William Miller, 19th century, took his folks to the mountains in northern New York State to wait for Jesus to come back. Um, it just, there's, there's just something in us that makes us so want to believe that we are going to be part of the biggest thing that's ever happened. And the sad part about that is we failed to grasp that we already are part of it, which is what he's going to talk about. So the question on the table is going to be, when's this going to happen? So look what he says. Good, straightforward Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, this is chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, <laughs> we do not need to write to you. 
These are, these are not fruitful discussions. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's in the gospel I don't know how many times. I'll pick a number, six times. Going to come like a thief in the night. Do you know when the thief is going to show up? No. Since we don't know when the burglar is going to show up at our house, what do we have in a lot of houses these days? Alarms. Alarms, which will, when the burglar does show up, will wake us up. Because we don't know. Could be never, could be tonight, could be in a month. Um, and you have to be what? Ready. ready. So we have alarms, so we can, we can try to be ready in case if it happens, right? So if you put in the context of Jesus' return, what does it say? Well, Jesus is going to arrive like a thief in the night. You don't know when. Could be today, a year, 2,000 years, 10,000 years from now. So what do you do when you don't know the time and the date, even though you desperately want to? I get that. I get, I get to ask these questions. You get ready. You be ready. You just be ready all the time. Just be ready. Have your heart in the right place. Treat others well. You know, stay faithful to Jesus. Live that, live the life God has given you. But just be ready. Not one where you're going to go, oh no, oh no, Jesus is coming. God, I got to go, go clean up my act and get rid of this and that and stash this and get rid of this and burn that. Nope. It's kind of like, oh, what is it like? It's like, um, when somebody dies some husband dies and his wife starts going through the stuff and she finds all this horrible stuff you know maybe it's an affair maybe it's a pornography stash I don't know what it might be confession about how much he's cheated other people whatever no you see you don't want to live a life to where after you pass people then find all these things that are the real truth about how you lived. No, be ready. All, every minute of every day for Jesus' return. So, he says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, while people are saying peace and safety, notice how it's in quotes in the NIV. I really like that. I'll explain why in a minute. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now you may say to me, well, that's an odd illustration, but only because we don't know our Old Testaments very well. Very common Old Testament expression for, wow, bad times are coming. Because every, not everybody, but many of us have seen a woman give birth. <laughs> I always remember, you know, there's, um, it was a comedy routine by the now disgraced Bill Cosby talking about him and his kids and he was a funny man it's a shame that he had this whole side to him you see that nobody knew but he said yeah you know my wife told me that if yeah if you want to feel the pain of childbirth just grab your upper lip and pull it over the back of your head and I remember at the time, I, that just struck me as quite illustrative and pretty funny. So, so 
destruction will come on them suddenly as quick as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, we're going to get into who the they is. The they is obviously those who don't know Christ. Okay? But why does he put peace and safety in quotes? Because that was like that was like billboards and banners in the Roman Empire. It was a common expression. Well, look what Caesar has brought you. Peace and security. It would be like, you remember the, the movies, The Hunger Games? And in the big metropolis that controlled everything, it would be like driving down a street and seeing a sign that says, aha, peace and security. See what we brought you? Yes, you're oppressed and you have no freedoms, but the world's at peace, right? So that's why peace without justice isn't, isn't the goal. We brought you peace and we brought you security, you know? But peace and security are, are, are not what it's all about. But that was a slogan in Rome. It's still attractive. If you listen to politicians today, you know, they'll pretend like that's really the end-all be-all. But it's not. So there was a slogan from the day. That's why it's in, in quotation marks. So while people are saying peace and safety on all the billboards around town, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, my brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Okay, so let's, let's break that down for a second. Not in darkness. So, N.T. Wright has a really good illustration he uses here, and it's about jet lag. Having just been to Israel and back, I am been reminded about jet lag. So how does jet lag work? You fly to somewhere, you know, 14 hours away, flight time. You cross eight or nine time zones. And when you get there, it's like morning, and it should feel like morning, but instead, it feels to you like the utter night. So your body's in one time zone, but you're actually in a different one. And you feel like a donkey kicked you in the head or something is with this jet lag business. Says that He says, you know, for the Christians, yes, we live in this world, this world of darkness, but actually, you see, it's like jet lag. We actually live in the light, the light of Christ. We are people of the light, not people of the darkness. That's a very standard New Testament way of speaking about this. Very much John's gospel. John spends a lot of time on the light and the dark. First Peter, the light and the dark. The world is is operates in the darkness because if you know how do, you, how do you emerge from the darkness? You come to know Christ. Okay? If you are in Christ, you have been reborn, and you actually live in, in, the, in the day. In the light. In the light. 
in the day. Day is made of light, right? Mm -hmm. yes. Not much of it out there right now. But <laughs> it's daytime, and there's more light than there's going to be in a few hours. So he says, but you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness. Right? So that this day should surprise you like a thief. You know Jesus is coming. You should, you should anticipate it. You should pray for it. But it's not going to surprise you because you know it's coming. Verse 5, you are all children of the light. You are all children of the day. That's this biblical way of talking about it. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And you see, for ancient people, really until the in, in, invention of readily available illumination, nighttime was really scary for people. Um, all the old stories about trolls and goblins and things that go bump, they don't go bump in the day, they go bump in the night. Right? And four ancient people, most of whom did not have any a way to illuminate the darkness, it was, it was a scary time. And it was a time when the veil between our world and the world of goblins and spirits and stuff was at its thinnest. So, so they, they would read a certain things here that we don't even hear because we live in a world in which we can have the light on 24 hours a day if we want it. So he says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night. We're past that. Let me go to my slide again. You see? Well, I need to... Yeah, okay, a slide, sure. We live here in the last days. We are the ones upon whom the end of the ages have met. We have been reborn. That, that present age is, the age of darkness is behind us already. And not yet because we still have to live in this world, okay? But, yes, yes, Paul. Yes, we get it. I hope. We do not belong, back to verse 5, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like the others are asleep like asleep at the post right just like like oblivious asleep oblivious uncaring let us be awake and sober that means clear-headed always ready for Jesus to return for those who sleep who are, hmm, I, I, okay, for those who are out of it, who don't know about Jesus and about Jesus returning, that's what he's talking about. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. That's what they do. They just stay in a perfect day. They're fat and happy in the darkness. They think they understand, but they don't. Because to go to First Corinthians again, back in the first chapter, you know, it's 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 a scandal of the Jews and the gospel's a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. They're living in darkness and, and okay, they're happy with it. 
they're sleepwalking through it. Those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Let us be clear-headed about this. Putting on what? Ah, here we go. Putting on faith and putting on love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation, the confidence that we have been rescued as a helmet. So Paul likes to do this. He does this in Ephesians 6 too, where he'll take this armor, right, and he'll 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 use it to okay, put on faith, put on love, put on this hope of salvation, because they are your armor in this dark world. So put on faith. Have trust God. Love, love God, love others. Not sentiment. That's what you do. It's not empty words. It's what you do. Put on faith. Put on love as a breastplate. And the hope of salvation, the confidence, the assurance of rescue, of our rescue from sin and death as a helmet. The people in the darkness who are happy in the darkness and oblivious to all of this, it may frustrate us, but all we can do is proclaim the gospel and what we do and what we say. And if people don't want to listen, they do that to their own ruin. If they think we're foolish, if we think we're crazy to think that, you know, God raised some Jew 2,000 years ago, raised him from the dead, not just brought him back to life, right? But through death to a newly embodied life. And and they scoff at us for that. In the end, there's nothing we can do about that. We're not charged with doing anything about that. We are to be a witness to Jesus, to make disciples, to proclaim the good news, to feed the hungry. There we go. That's it. You know, in the end, in the end, it's about it's about everyone in God. I've, I, I think the New Testament makes it really clear that none of us save souls. Nowhere will you find G Jesus saying, "Go out and save souls." That, that, that's what God does. We don't. We're we're tempted to take too much on, and then we feel badly if we fail. Right. We pray and pray for some person to respond. To God and they don't and they don't and they don't and we they that we think there must be some I must I'm to, I'm just unable to find the right words I'm unable to find the right program I'm unable to do this I'm unable to do that but that's not what it's about it is about what God does and for us to understand what our role is in God's work what God has actually given us to do that doesn't mean to save souls. So, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, clear-headed, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Right? God has rescued us from that. But to receive salvation, how? How is it we are rescued? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
he died for us. He died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, probably meaning when Jesus comes back, you know, Paul says what makes this paragraph difficult is he does do some mixing of metaphors and things, but I'm pretty sure this is this is what he means. He died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, when he returns, we may live together with him. You know, a lot of people think of eternity as on a timeline, but you can't really do that, right? You can't think of eternity in a timeline. Eternity is about a who, not a when. Eternity is, is Jesus. Eternity is found in Jesus, not, not, not on a timeline. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. What a good pastor and teacher. Encourage one another, build each other up, look out for each other, right? Just as in fact you are doing. I mean, he's not scolding them or anything. He's just encouraging them. As they, you know, this small little band of believers in Thessalonica try to make their way through a, a very dark world, um, pro proclaiming and living the good news of Jesus. You know, maybe we should do this. Look at verse 10 for a second. It is Christmas time. And we have lots and lots of wonderful Christmas stories. But there's one that I think is just gets me every time, every time. And this happens not at the birth, but a few days later, eight days later, if it's exactly what it seems to be in Luke. He kind of puts the pulls, pushes several ceremonies together, but that's okay when Joseph and Mary bring the infant, little tiny infant, into Jerusalem, into the temple, um, to be circumcised, and then Mary's gonna be purified, and they're gonna, they're gonna consecrate Jesus and redeem him back, and all these things that they did around babies. And Luke, it's all put together into like one, one biscuit. Biscuit? Biscuit. Okay, so... <laughs> So they go up and, and we learn that there is this really old man there. His name is Simeon. And Simeon is ancient. But he's been told by God, and he's confident about this, he's been told by God that he will not die before he sees the salvation of Israel, the salvation of God's people, the rescue of God's people. And then he sees this child. And that in that child, he sees the rescue of Israel. And of course, he, it's a moment of just, you can imagine how joy-filled his heart is as he, come, as he comes over and approaches 
this young couple and their newborn because now he has laid his eyes on on the hope of Israel. And then he pauses and I picture him looking right in Mary's eyes. And he says to her, but you know, your heart and your soul will be pierced, will be pierced because the child, the child is born with a shadow over the crib, over the manger, over the child. We, we discover as the child grows up what, that what the child's vocation is, why the child was born, to be the utterly faithful of Israel, to be the Jew who will be faithful to God in all things at all times and be for Israel what they are unwilling to do and to be for themselves even though that path will take the child, now a man, to, a, to the cross. When, when, when the pure love and grace of God meets the dark powers of this world, the dark powers respond with the humiliation, pain, and torture of a Roman cross. And the shout of that cross lies across the manger. I've seen, I've seen a few images. I think I've used them, a few images of that. And we can't, we can't forget that at Christmas time. You know, it, 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 is, it is a time. Of course, it's great joy. It's, it's the time we celebrate the incarnation. It's a time when we celebrate that God is stepping into space and time to rescue us. But you have to let that shadow fall. Or, or you're likely not to really understand, understand the story. So, um, so Paul writes in verse nine, God appointed us to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that we, so that whether we're awake or asleep, whatever, we may live together with him. To go to Patty's point earlier, there again, the with him part, you see? In Philippians 1, Paul says, yes, as Patty said, they may execute me, but I'm ready to go, to go be with Christ. Quote, Philippians, quote, be with Christ. Same idea here. Be with Christ. Be with Jesus. And all that flows from that. And, and I very strongly understand this to mean that we will be with others because what are the two great commandments that we love God and love others so of course of course so then he says just therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing so when we come back next week we are going to look at Paul's final instructions to the Thessalonians Paul, who is their teacher and their pastor, and he packs a lot of things into these final sentences until at the end he picks up the pen for himself. He says, now I'm writing this in my own hand, which gives you a clue that these letters, they're all from Paul, but he is not the only person participating in their creation and exactly how much freedom he gives 
somebody else to help him in this. We can't know. All we have is what's on the page. All we have is what's on the page. So, I think that's about it today, Patty. We're going to need to stop there because there's no point in going on to, to verse 12. Right. And the blowers have started up next door yes. anywhere. They drive me mad. But they're not going to pull me out of my Christmas spirit. Okay. We may have to watch a Christmas movie tonight. We may have to. We may have to. Yes. It's about time we got rolling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, thank you, Gary. Gary said it was a good class. Remember, up in Tacy's. First Thessalonians 4. Don't buy that rapture stuff. <laughs> I, I knew a young couple. This was when I was in Sunday school up in Ohio. And it was a couple. And the husband came to Sunday school. He said, yeah, I got up one morning. And I went down. And I couldn't find anybody. And I couldn't find anybody. And I thought, oh my, it's happened. They're all gone. And I've been left behind. Aww. Yeah, very. And that was even before the Left Behind books were written. Wow. Yeah, that was yeah, but see the left it actually is how long? Couple couple hundred years old. A little less than that, this whole rapture business. But very North American. Mm -hmm. If you went to Europe or Africa or somewhere and wanna talk with Christians about this, I don't think they would know much about what you were talking about. Well, but anyway, okay. We never, know. never know. After the after the books and the movies. Yeah, see, there you it go. May have, it may have influenced a lot more than just yeah. America. Those okay. books sold in the they did millions, millions. and, and millions. a lot a lot of t-shirts too. I hear. Really? Yeah. What does it say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hope you all have a great rest of the afternoon. Yeah, stay and dry tonight and tomorrow. Yes. Um, we had four inches of rain on Saturday here. Isn't that crazy? That was crazy. Um, and uh, we mentioned in class yesterday, I have a, a sweet friend, Janie Pops, and she was supposed to have surgery today. It's very, very serious surgery on her foot. She's a pretty bad diabetic, and so most of you kind of know what that means. And um, the doctor came in last night while I was there, and he said he was going to give it 24 more hours before he decided exactly what he was going to do. So please pray that um, this goes well for her. It's going to it's it's going to be really tough. It's kind of one of those life-changing things. So Okay, so let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this day. Even though it's dark and a little dreary and the blowers are outside, we are so grateful, Lord. And I hope and pray that each one of us right now is in our nice, warm house and we're dry and we're so grateful for that, Lord. We thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you, God, just for loving us and being so faithful to us, Lord. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just be with us every day and in the coming weeks as we all do all the crazy last minute stuff that we're running around for for Christmas, Lord. Please keep us safe, Lord. We pray, God, that you'd keep us healthy. And uh, we just we just pray, God, that we would keep our minds actually focused on why we celebrate Christmas, Lord. All this we pray in the great and glorious name of your risen son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, Bye, everybody. everybody. Adios. See some of you tomorrow at noon, Piro Hall. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.